I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 5. 1 Timothy 5, we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses of this chapter this morning. Uh, the title of our sermon is Caring for God's Family, and the keywords for our worshipers in training are, are honor, widows, and care. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot was widowed in 1956 when her husband Jim was killed by Aka Indians that he was seeking to evangelize. She was then widowed again 15, or I think 16 years later when her second husband Addison died after an excruciating bout with cancer. And in her book, uh, The Path of Loneliness, she writes of her experience at her second husband's funeral 15 years later, um, 16 years later. She says, Most of my tears were shed before he died as I watched cancer take him to pieces. At the funeral, they sang a song that we're familiar with here at RBC. They sang, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. And she reflects on the line, Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. She writes, I, I do not feel like crying except for the joy at the thought of Christ's death being the death of death. Brothers and sisters, there is a day coming when death is going to succumb to the death blow Christ dealt it in His cross. That day is sure and guaranteed and coming, but, but what about the here and now? What about the time in between the cross and the consummation where, where death will be dead fully and God's people will... Have been, uh, who have been separated by death. That day when we are reunited with one another and with the Lord and every tear, as we, we sang a moment ago, will be wiped from our eyes. What can and what should be done for those left behind? Stricken with what uh, Elizabeth Elliot calls the sudden tide. Well, Paul's words to Timothy in our passage this morning have a lot to say, particularly as we think about how to care for those who have been left behind by a spouse, right? When a, a spouse has died. And whether you have lost a spouse or um, are worried in short order you may lose a spouse, we are all going to either die or lose someone close to us. Lose a spouse if we're married. And so, a text like this is, is important wherever you find yourself at the moment. So to situate ourselves before we get into the, the passage, remember back in chapter 4, verse, verse 6, Paul uh, moves from the theological foundations of the, of the letter into application. And in verses 6 through 16, he describes the necessary commitments that Timothy must make uh, in order to be successful in his ministry. Well, then here in chapter 5, starting in verse 1 all the way to chapter 6, verse 2, 
Paul moves into a discussion about various groups that exist within the church. Um, and he deals with widows, elders, and then bondservants and their masters. And all of those, each of those groups must be understood within the context of verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, where Paul describes the church as a family. And uh, the, the plan will be to spend a sermon on, on each of these groups. Today, my goal is to introduce the section and then to cover uh, Paul's words concerning widows. He writes in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives." Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the, husband, sorry, been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions uh, draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, uh, this passage is difficult to, uh, to outline. Um, you could sort of describe much of what Paul does in 1 Timothy, especially here in, in sort of a stream of consciousness of writing. So it's, it's challenging to outline, but uh, I think we can do it. Uh, today, as we look at these verses, these 16 verses, I want you to notice um, three things with me. First, in verses 1 and 2, we will see that every relationship that we have within the church uh, can and should be understood in familial terms. Right? In, un- in other words, we are, we are a family. Then looking uh, at two things in verses 3 through 16, I want you to see uh, these two things. Uh, first, um, who are those, specifically who are those widows who should have a formal relationship with the church whereby they receive ongoing substantial care from the church as a whole? We see this in verse 3. 5 through 7, and then 9 and 10. And then second, we'll see who are the widows who should not be in such a formal relationship with the church, 
but should receive support in other ways. We'll see that in verse, uh, verse 4, verse 8, and then verses uh, 11 through um, 16. So first, look with me in verses 1 and 2 where we see that the church is indeed a family. Timothy is instructed here not to rebuke an older man, but to encourage him how? As he would a father. Likewise, he was to relate to older women as mothers, younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, there are two fundamental truths regarding the church as a family that are expressed in these exhortations here in verses 1 and 2. First, as I mentioned last week in verses 11 through 16, the church is an intergenerational entity. Second, the church is made up of males and females. And those two truths require certain things of us as we relate to one another. And we'll look at each of those in turn. First, the church is a multi-generational entity. And this requires a certain concern for respect. By nature, we gravitate toward the familiar. For instance, young people generally find it easier to associate with other young people. Older people generally find it easier to associate with older people. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with this tendency, but it is something that we must closely watch. It is a tendency that we must be careful not to allow ourselves to get stuck in. Right? It is very important that young people see the benefit of spending time with older people. And vice versa, that older people see benefit and value in spending time with people who are younger than they are. And so, Paul calls on Timothy, um, who as sort of the leader of this church at the time, he is uh, not, uh, he doesn't escape the the need to be respectful to those who are are older than him uh, and to treat uh, treat people of his age, uh, you know, as as brothers, uh, particularly. Uh, You think about the men, and so we shouldn't either. So we we relate to one another on the basis of respect, particularly as we, we think about um, perhaps age differences. Well, second, we see that these verses also made up of, of right, men and women make up the church, and boys and girls. And this requires a special concern for, for purity. Right? Not only are families made up of people of different ages, but they're also made up of males and, and females. And those gendered relationships need to be marked by purity. Timothy was uh, to treat... Uh, in particular, right, he says the younger women, right, as sisters in all or in absolute purity. John Stott sums up these two verses well, which I'll just uh, summarize what he says rather than directly quoting, but he says basically this, behave toward those who are older than you with respect, affection, and gentleness, your own generation with equity, the opposite sex uh, with uh, purity, and all ages of both sexes with the love that binds members of the same family together. And so this point is much shorter than the next two, but the, the, 
the summary statement of these two verses as we get into these different groups within the church could be this, that the church is an intergenerational family made up of males and females, and these relationships need to be marked by respect and purity. And so how, how do we do? How are you doing with that in your relationships with, with one another? Do we, uh, at Redeemer Baptist Church, do the, the older and the younger mix well here? Do men and women here relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? May it be so both now and forever. And so that's the overarching idea leading into Paul's concern for widows and elders and, and uh, people who work together. Um, is that the church is a family and we relate to each other firstly along those lines. So secondly, uh, and thirdly, we'll consider these two different types of widows that he addresses in verses 3 through 16. He turns his attention, right, from the family of God in general to work out the implication of this reality for how certain groups fit within that family. So here we'll look at first his care for widows, and in verses 3, 5, 9, and 10, we'll see where Paul describes those who should be formally enrolled on the church's care list. He says in verse 3 that Timothy should honor those who are truly widows. Right? Paul's point in these verses, 3 through 16, is simple. To clarify for Timothy which widows should be formally enrolled on the church's care list to receive ongoing substantial financial support and those who shouldn't be enrolled on such a list. Apparently, the Ephesians had developed a a, a, rel- a rather bloated care list where they were indiscriminately providing funds for a number of widows regardless of their actual circumstances. And such negligence was causing a number of problems in the church. And so Paul says that the church is to, to honor those who are truly widows. So who are the true widows, Paul? He gives three essential requirements for enrollment here. He says an eligible widow is one who is all alone. She's old enough that remarriage is really not a consideration for her anymore. And she's a woman of exemplary, godly character. We'll look at each of those in turn. First in verse 5, he says eligible widows are those who are left all alone. Not only is her husband dead, but other family members must also Apparently, either be dead or too far away to help, or perhaps, most sadly, unwilling to help. In order to qualify for enrollment here, he says the woman must have no other means of providing or receiving support. And in Paul's day, right, there was really no expectation or possibility that that a widow would have an opportunity really to provide for herself. That's certainly going to be a little different in the way that we think about how that would be applied today. It's not quite the same. Um, but certainly in, in Paul's day, she didn't have someone caring for her, then that was, um, she was likely going to be in, in some trouble. So first, she must be all alone. Second, uh, she must be a woman for whom marriage is no longer uh, 
an option or a realistic option, right? He says in verse 9 that a widow should be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years old. Now, the point is not that a widow at 60 is just too old to remarry, right? It's not that a widow at 60 couldn't get remarried, but the point is that apparently those under 60 would likely have considered remarriage as a viable option, at least a much more viable option than those who were over 60, right? Um, And it's also, I think, important here to note that Paul is not really thinking here of overly strict, in overly strict terms. The point isn't 59 verse 60, right? If you're 59, get married and have kids. If you're 60, then you can be enrolled, right? He's holding out 60 as the typical benchmark that a woman should reach before she's eligible, We'll see this uh, later. I'll make the point now, right? This is not a a, a red tape, bureaucratic list of things to get the church off the hook from helping anyone. He's giving guidelines here. So she must be all alone. She must be too old to think that she's getting remarried. And third, she must have uh, a godly, exemplary character. We see this in verses 5 to 7 and in verse 10. In verse 5, he says that the eligible widow is one who has set her hope on God. And she regularly and persistently prays and makes her request known to God. She seeks God diligently. And this is in contrast to the widows in verse 6 who live self-indulgent lives. Right? Those who, he says, are alive physically but dead spiritually. Now, Paul's words in verse 7 are a little difficult to interpret, particularly as it concerns the, the they, the identity of the they that he references here. And it seems best in this statement to, to understand him to be offering an encouragement to Timothy to teach these things clearly so that everyone involved, both those receiving care and those providing care, that everyone involved would be without reproach. And then he continues her, 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 the outline of character here in verses 9 and 10. He says that she needs to have been faithful in respect to sex and marriage. And she is to have a good reputation regarding her work. She is to have a reputation for good works, of which he gives a sample list in the second half of the verse. Now, regarding this requirement to have been the wife of one husband, uh, literally a, a one-man woman... Uh, we should note that this is the same grammatical construction that Paul uses in reference to the elders and deacons in chapter 3. Right? The elder is supposed to be a one-woman man. The widows here are to be one, one-man woman. Right? And so the, the point, again, is not that if a woman has been widowed twice, that she is now out of the running for receiving help from the church, but that she has been faithful in her one marriage or two marriages, however many she had, right? That she was faithful in those things. She was pure in those things. And then he he goes on in verse 10 to give a a sample list of of good works. Now again, this isn't a a, a list of, a, a checklist of things that 
um, a woman uh, has to have done in every conceivable way, right? What if a woman was unable to bear children, for instance? Is she now off the list? No, right? It's not an explicit checklist of every single item must be completed before receiving care from the church. This presses the point too far. Like the qualifications for elders, deacons, it's not that a woman must be perfect and sinless or that she must meet these qualifications in every little literal sense of the word in order to receive help from the church. How, it, what he's getting at is that in the normal course of events, a woman would have gotten married, would bear and raise children, would take advantage of her opportunities to bless the stranger, the fellow Christian, and the one who is suffering. Right? We see that bless the stranger, to show hospitality, to wash the feet of the saints, to bless the fellow Christian, and to care for the afflicted, those who are suffering. And then he gives the summary again just to to demonstrate that he's not making it a, a list of this and only this, but to say that she has devoted herself to every good work, right? Has she done these things, or is she the type of woman who would have done these things having been given the opportunity? Right, as I, I said a moment ago, Paul's not commending a bureaucratic string of red tape that ultimately makes enrollment so onerous that no woman could qualify. The point is that the woman who was to receive formal, ongoing, substantial support from the church must be the type of woman, A, who actually needs it, and B, whose character demonstrates she won't squander it. So that is, uh, I know we're flying through this. Uh, we're going to get to this, our third and final point here, and then we're going to make some concluding applications. But that's, that's Paul's description of uh, the true widow, the one who's all alone, who... Uh, doesn't really have the recourse, the option to get remarried at this point, and she has demonstrated uh, a, uh, a godly character. So who are those that shouldn't be enrolled? We see this in verses 4, 8, and then 11 through 16. A widow should not be considered for enrollment on the church's long-term care list to receive ongoing financial support, according to Paul, essentially if she's the opposite of the woman that he just described, right? If she has means of support from nearby family members, and uh, as we'll see, that could be blood family members or, or, or even family in, in the, the household of God, right? If she's got nearby family members to support, if she's young enough to remarry, or if she lacks godly character. We'll look at each of these in turn. First, in verses 4, 8, and 16, Paul stresses the importance of family taking care of family. And, uh, and he's arguing here that the more localized, individualized the help can be, the better. Right? Apparently, the strategy that the Ephesians had been employing of just admitting everyone onto the church's formal care list, uh, it had been tempting uh, families and individuals to neglect their duties to their own, uh, to their own, right? And the church was was being overburdened. Churches often already have uh, limited budgets, and so the church was was struggling because the 
these individuals, these individual families were neglecting their own. And so Paul's point here is that individuals of faith are to let their faith work itself out in relation to others. And Paul gives two reasons for this in verse 4. One, he says it is an exercise of godliness. He says that children and grandchildren should learn to show godliness to their own household and make a return to their parents who cared for them. Second, he says it pleases God when aging parents are cared for by their children and grandchildren. And Paul goes on in verse 8 to make the point further. He says, if anyone does not provide for his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. There were then and are now various laws requiring some level of care be given from children, and, uh, from children to parents and grandparents in need, right? And so Paul's point is that if, if pagans, right, who don't love Christ, have not been born again, if pagans can manage to provide for their aging relatives, how much more should those who profess faith in Christ provide for family members in need? And then in verse 16, he says that if a believing woman has relatives who are widows, she should care for them. Right? And so he makes this point three different times in these verses that it's pretty simple, right? A, a widow who has nearby relatives, and especially believing ones, should receive support and help from those family members, especially those for whom she has labored so, so long in earlier years. Second, regarding those who shouldn't be enrolled, we see in verses 11 that Paul forbids the enrollment of younger widows. He says in verse 14 that the best course of action for a younger widow is to remarry, to bear children, to be taken up in the cares of her own household. And if she can do that, then she she shouldn't be placed on the long-term financial care list. Now, if... How does Paul define younger here, and what does he mean, right? Because it, it might sound like that Paul is saying that a, a 50-year-old widow should plan to get married and have children. Um, if you're under 60, 59, get married and have kids, right? That's not even possible in at least most cases, I guess. Um, and so what's Paul saying? He says... The younger ones should get married if they, right, if you can, get married. And if you're young enough, bear children. Care for your home. Right? Find your, your place and, uh, and, uh, and support there. So, they're to get married. Third, considering their character, he says that if they have an ungodly character, they shouldn't be eligible for enrollment either. Right? And in verses 11 through 15, we saw it also in verse 6, but in 11 through 15 here, we, says, we see that Paul speaks again to the, this character. He says, the woman, these women that should not be enrolled are marked not by hope in God and persistent prayer, but by wantonness, idleness, and gossip. It seems like these younger widows that were being en- enrolled on the church's care list uh, they were being tempted to wander from Christ. He says their passions were drawing them away from Christ as they were being tempted to, to remarry. 
which uh, apparently in, in some way for these enrolled widows, this was, he says, an abandonment of their former faith. Obviously, remarriage itself was not a problem. It wasn't a sinful option for a young widow to get remarried since Paul recommends that very course of action in verse 14. The issue is that remarriage was some kind of repudiation and rejection of her faith in light of having been enrolled on the church's care list at the time. Now, some have suggested that there was a pledge of celibacy that was made upon enrollment. The idea was that she would be enrolled in the church's care list and would give herself fully over to serving the church in whatever way she could and would not ever get married again. Now, it's certainly possible. Um, commentators are, di- are divided on this, and, and ultimately it's not exactly clear why that would have been required. But if, if it were required, then it obviously would have been very important for the woman to keep her word. The, the truth is, it's just not exactly clear why remarriage for the enrolled widow was problematic. What is clear is that Paul says, in this case, for them there in Ephesus, it was a problem. It was a very big problem. And it amounted to and resulted in a rejection of Christ and resulted in their condemnation. So he says, if, you're gonna, if you think you're going to get remarried, do that before this. Because here's what was also happening. The, young, the younger widows being enrolled were left with nothing to do, apparently. They relied on the church's support, and so they make a threefold descent into destruction. He says they become idlers, floating about from house to house. In their idleness, they, they get taken up in gossip as they, they, they perfect that ancient art. And in verse um, 15... Uh, into 14 and into 15, the adversary is given occasion for slander, and some are straying after Satan. So the point, while admittedly it is difficult to discern precisely why some of these things were problematic, the point is that it's very important to Paul that the church gets this right. He says, on the one hand, caring well for widows is a good demonstration of godliness that is pleasing in the sight of God. And on the other hand, irresponsibility in this area leads to idleness, gossip, forsaking of the truth, following after Satan, and condemnation. So it's crucial that the church get this right. So, I want to close here then with a few words of application that I, I hope will, will tie it all together. First, for those of us with older family members, we need to take seriously our responsibility to care for them as they age. You know, inconvenience, uh, I think for many of us in the West, has become the greatest burden that we can bear. As long as I'm not inconvenienced by something, I'm happy to do it. But the moment it's a little inconvenient, particularly with our time, right? We, don't, we can throw money at things. We can, we can pray. But to give our time to something, I think, is very difficult for many of us. We feel very pressed for time. I think there are reasons for that. Some we can help and some we maybe can't. But 
we feel burdened by inconvenience like never before. So we'll do whatever is necessary to avoid being inconvenienced. And caring for someone who is unable to care for himself or herself, it, it's inconvenient. It's not easy. It's not necessarily fun. But Paul says it is a beautiful display of godliness. It is an exquisite working out of your faith in Christ who was more than willing to be inconvenienced for you. Far beyond the mere inconvenience for Christ who came here forsaking the splendors of heaven. He came here to be not inconvenienced, to be murdered for you. So we want to care for those in need. Now, a second point of application would would be to offer a a clarifying word regarding the identity of of the true widow here, right? Because we we talked about what what it means to honor them and and kind of how it fits in this category. But is it literally, is Paul just talking about women whose husbands have died? I don't think so. And we'll make sort of a twofold step to make that point. First, uh, Kent Hughes helpfully writes, in his commentary on this, he says, Christian women and children who have been abandoned by their spouses and left without family support also should fit into this category. Godly single mothers are a new class of widow. And those without family and resources are the church's sacred responsibility. And so whether widowed by death of a husband or widowed by his abandonment, Christians should make their care and support of widows a top priority. And then to extend it even a little further, we we need to remember what Paul said, or what I said about Paul's point here, is that he's not just establishing a long list of bureaucratic red tape scenarios that ultimately keep the church from having to help people out. He's making the point that individually and corporately, Christians are to use their resources to support those in need. The example in particular here that he gives are widows. And we should be especially mindful of that group. But what about anyone who is genuinely in need? Does male and female really matter? Young or old, married or unmarried? No. Paul's point here is primarily to focus on widows. right? And the point ultimately is that those who can provide for themselves should. Those who can't should be helped by those in the closest moral proximity to them. Family members or individual Christians with whom they are close. And those still in need of help beyond that should be cared for formally by the church's budget. And to drive the point home, remember, we don't don't serve one another on the basis of of law. We don't serve one another on the basis purely of, of blood, but on the basis of Christ's blood. So, this isn't a rhetorical question. That literally, I want to look to you. Well, you can't. Uh, how about 
you guys look over there, and you guys look, just look at everybody. Look across the aisle. I was going to say look to your right and then your left, but then I realized you're just looking at the back of someone's head. So you look at each other all around. That's who we're talking about. Do you see your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here in this room? Those are the people. These are the people that we care for. When you have a need, when you, when you see a need from someone in this room that you can meet, meet it. And please, please be especially mindful of those who fall into this category, to a category of someone who might get overlooked in the hustle and bustle of our busy lives. Maybe uh, now a word to two widows. It might be tempting to think of widowhood merely as a curse and a burden. Certainly, it is excruciatingly painful, but Elizabeth Elliot, whom I quoted earlier, she calls it something else. Reflecting on the agonizingly long day when she and the four other women and seven children that were with her learned, one by one, that their husbands and fathers had been murdered, she writes, at the end of it, 4 p.m., they were all dead, they knew it, she says, I was not a wife anymore. I was a widow. Another assignment. Another gift. She says, God's inexorable love had, had allowed me to become a widow. In his death, Jesus Christ gave us life. The willingness of the Son of God to commit himself to the hands of criminals became the greatest gift ever given. The bread of the world in mercy broken. Thus the worst thing that ever happened became the best thing that ever happened. At the cross of Jesus, our crosses are changed into gifts. The love that calls us into being, woos us to Himself, makes us His bride, lays down His life for us, and daily crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy, will not, no matter how it appears in our loneliness, Abandon us. So how shall your suffering, how shall your widowhood be a gift unto you? I don't know. But I know the one who will be with you always and has called upon the church, has called upon this church to rally around you in loving support and friendship. Finally, some have wondered why Paul spends so much time on the care of widows here. I think it's like 12% of this letter is taken up in these verses about widows. Does that seem like a lot? Well, for those who have any familiarity with Scripture, such attention should not be a surprise. The only thing that might be surprising is that he didn't spend more time on it. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's care for widows and orphans rises to the top of his list of priorities. James says that pure and undefiled religion is demonstrated in what? Visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Contra most cultures overlooking 
widows or disdain for widows. God calls upon His people to honor and to care for them. Throughout the Old Testament, God is referred to as the father of the fatherless, protector of orphans and widows. Psalm 68.5, for instance. So God cares deeply for those who are in need. So, widows, God cares for you. God cares deeply for you. And for all of us who are in need, God cares for you. Jesus practices such care for widows from the cross when he entrusted his mother to the care of his friend, John. And Paul wants to be clear with Timothy in the church there at Ephesus and in the church throughout the ages that caring for widows, caring for those in need is a non-negotiable. So brothers and sisters, let us be men and women after God's own heart and let us take up the care of those, all of those who are truly in need because Christ has done the same for us. With that now, God invites us to come to the table.